This is the Marsh and Matt Show with Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. Hope everyone is doing well. Another wild, uh, cardiac-inducing win for the Minnesota Vikings. It's two in a row. Uh, this time they walk off Kirk Cousins to KJ Osborne in a game they probably should have sealed before, but nonetheless, uh, we'll take the victory three and three at the bye. I don't think I've ever seen anything like the uh, first six weeks of the Viking season. Marshall Kellner and Matt Gallivan here with you. We'll hear more from Matt in a second, but we want to get right to our guest for this week. It is Scott Korzanowski. He actually uh, is doing something very similar to me <laughs> that I just started law school and he made the uh, switch from sports to law and still has a lot of sports in his life as well. Uh, we are about to hear from him and uh, give you all about his background as we introduce him right now. Here's that interview conducted with Scott Korzanowski earlier this week. All right, welcome into this week's edition of the Marsh and Matt Show. We are pleased to be joined by Scott Korzanowski. He has a, an awesome background, which we will get into with him in a moment. He is with the uh, Dadian Gardner Law Firm. He also is a former sports columnist and uh, sports talk radio host. He has uh, done it all and he has a lot of, uh, he always has very, very strong opinions about everything, but especially uh, sports as uh, that will be the focus of this uh, conversation. But uh, let's welcome him in now. Corzo, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, glad to be here, Marshall. Matthew, nice to meet, nice to meet you, Matthew. But Marshall and I have known each other going back a couple of years. So uh, yeah, I'm glad to be here. Excellent. Uh, well, the first thing we, we do with our guests here on, on this show is uh, we try to uh, get a little bit of background about you uh, for those for those who, who don't understand and or who, who aren't familiar. And um, you did kind of what I'm doing now. You you were working in sports and then uh, went to law school. But uh, we'll let you you talk about it. Uh, you were undergrad, you born and raised in Minnesota, just like we yep. were. Undergrad at the U, and then uh, right into the sports business, right? Well, the funny thing was at the U, I was uh, I got into business school. Uh, I was an accounting major. My dad was a CPA. Uh, I found a high level accounting classes to be extremely easy. Uh, so it was a great major for me. Uh, and But by the end of my junior year, I was reading a column in the uh, Star Tribune by, oh man, uh, what was his name? Not It wasn't Doug Grow. Uh, I can't remember. Not, like Bisbing. Not, no, Bisbing was the frog. But I can't remember, but I read this column where a guy that I read a lot, he talked a lot about how he loved being a sports writer. And that's when I realized I wanted to become a sports writer. And so I was through my junior year at the U. I was in the school of business. And uh, I told my mom I wanted to be a sports writer. And I said, I'm sure dad's going to be disappointed because he, you know, was a CPA and was kind of proud I was following in his footsteps. And when I told my dad I was going to become a sports writer, he was 10 times more thrilled than if I would have been because he, he's the guy that gave me my love for sports. Uh, and I tell stories about my dad all the time. By the way, if you would have watched football back in the day with my dad, uh, you would have thought Ron Yeri was the worst player in Vikings history. Yeah, first ballot Hall of Famer. My dad hated Ron Yeri and complained. But but my love of sports came from my dad, so that's when I became a sports writer that day. And then I did that until uh, I realized I couldn't make any money doing that, and it was really difficult to get jobs. And I decided, what could I do now? I said, I'm not marketable, really. And I decided to go to law school. And I'll tell you, 
uh, being a sports writer was great training for being a lawyer. It was better training than law school was. Uh, and it, it taught you how to talk, how to interview people, how to tell stories, uh, how to write. So it was, a, it was great training. So then I went and became a columnist. Uh, and then luckily got a columnist job at the, at the uh, Fort Myers news press. And until I realized I was making no money. And then I went to law school. And we have the Fort Myers connection, uh, connection we as well. Yeah. Um, and you, I you, love know what, you know what a summer in Florida is like. Uh, you know, and the traffic dissipates a lot. And yes. I think that's what you like the most. I did not dislike summer. I loved yeah. summer because one, as a sports columnist, when I had to write five columns a week, that was difficult in those days. There was no, the Marlins weren't there yet. The Rays weren't there yet. You know, football season was a bonanza with three, you know, big college football programs and two NFL programs. But in spring training could kind of keep you alive during the spring, but summer would hit. And all the golf courses, we could play for like 20 bucks uh really the nice golf courses we had we i played golf almost every day uh we play in the morning work in the afternoon you know write my column sometimes i take my computer out to the beach and you're right the summers it just it empties out and you just you know if you just have to play in the morning uh, i was you know every day was 93 right every day was 93 and the record high was 94 i love that there was about as consistent of weather as you could get it's not like here uh but no i love fort myers and in fact so remind my me if and i go back there all the time so I was going to say, remind me why you left to left this area to go to law school. Uh, it sounds pretty nice. It is. It was great. But I mean, I think I was making like $25,000 a year in 1991 or 92, whatever it was. I had a two-year-old son. My wife was working. Uh, I applied for a lot of jobs. Uh, Dave Hyde beat me out in Miami. Uh, Chad Ford beat me out in Louisville. Uh, you know, you, you become close, but no cigar. And so they're both still working. Obviously, Chad Ford's still working. Dave Hyde is working. Uh, at, still at the at the Herald, great columnist. No, not the Herald. At, he was at Fort, Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I knew Dan Levertard back in the day when he was a student writer. Uh, Greg Cody was like the covering the Dolphins in those days. And being a sports columnist in Florida was, it was like a traveling fraternity where there'd be 13 papers would travel with Florida, Florida state, Miami. And when Florida and Florida state played, there'd be 40 writers there. And it was like, we had a great time. That's all I'm going to say. It was, uh, it was the old guys. <laughs> I was a young guy then. I mean, that was, those were fun years. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt about it. Um, last question about uh, this, and then we'll get into some Minnesota sports. Uh, what was your, cause you got to cover some big events. You kind of touched on it a little bit. Uh, if you had to pick out, one big event that's uh that was the highlight what would it be you know it's funny when i look back at my sports writing career i don't so much remember the events i remembered what happened around the events uh like the time i was physically thrown out of a bar in jacksonville during the uh the world's largest cocktail party because i wasn't drinking uh that's an interesting story <laughs> uh, and, as I, and as i walked into the press box the next day the the entire press box gave me a standing ovation i do not remember who won that florida florida georgia game I have no recollection but i do remember everything that led up to it uh i i think when when i think about the events that i i was surprised by events um i i remember my sports writer my sports editor said you got to go cover the daytona 500 and that became one of my favorite events to cover it just it just did it was so unusual uh if you haven't been to a nascar race you should go uh and 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 i also really like covering golf a lot i mean i was at i was at augusta when when larry mize won I was in, uh, uh, in Chicago when, when Hale Irwin won. And so I really like covering golf probably the most. 
but but obviously I talked about the Catholic first convicts game before I went on. That was a huge game. I was also at the Florida State Miami game where, where Miami was losing 19 to three, came back and beat Florida State the first wide right game. So with Jimmy and uh, Michael Irvin and Deion Sanders, I mean, being around those teams and being around uh, uh, Bobby Bowden uh, was great. So those those are probably the, the, some of those college football games I covered were fantastic. Yeah, and I think it's awesome how you've found a way to, to keep, uh, you know, a foot in the sports game, you know, whether it's with your your hosting or, or just uh, sometimes getting into sports debates on Twitter, you know, that's right. Uh, that's right. If, if you, if you don't take Twitter too seriously, it can be fun to it's uh, very fun go back and forth. Yourself. Yeah, very abs- fun. absolutely. Uh, okay. So let's get into some, some nitty gritty because I always like talking to, to Corzo because he has very strong opinions about uh, some of the local team. And I, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but basketball is kind of your, your, your we, passion. We should start with the Timberwolves. Yes, and last night's game. And I was because, I was absolutely going to do that. Uh, because well, what driving, are your thoughts? Well, I'm driving around today because I have to run some errands, and I'm hearing Barrero and Barrero saying, "Pump the brakes." And yes, Fox Sports North was getting too excited, and and I have the exact opposite opinion. And I'll tell you why. Two games after Tom Thibodeau, the first two games Tom Thibodeau coached, I said they should fire him, and I and I proved to be right. They they did get to the playoffs the second year, but he completely gutted their future progress and stunted it by years to win one playoff game uh this team after one game and i know houston's terrible that that i'm really not watching i'm watching how they're playing i went to the first preseason game uh, because you know i have a buddy who's got season tickets and we share i love going to preseason games for the nba and i've never seen both teams by the way the pelicans i've never seen teams play a preseason game like they played that game i don't know if it was because there was fans in the stands, although not very many that night, maybe two, 3,000. But, th- but the intensity with which the Wolves played defense that night was something I hadn't seen. And then I watch the next couple playoff games, and they played with intensity. And last night, they are playing defense like I have never seen a Timberwolves team play going back to KG's days. And they all care about defense. I mean, when you see Malik Beasley – going the length of the court to block a shot when the Wolves are up 29 midway through the fourth quarter and the entire bench mobs him, that is telling me that this team has bought into what Finch is teaching. And so I, I think, by the way, this team has incredible depth. I'm not a huge D'Lo fan. And last night, you know, you saw some D'Lo laissez-faire play. But, but I am all in on this team. And I think this team could, could be very surprising. And, you know, does that mean that they would – get into the, I can't put a number on it. Injuries could happen. I'm just saying this team is different and it's not because they beat a terrible team by 30 or up by 30. It's because the way they play the intensity with which they seem, they seem to, can I swear on this podcast? They seem to give a shit, which is something I haven't seen rarely since KG was here. And if this team gives a shit and they appear to, uh, they have a chance to surprise people and a chance to maybe be really good in a year or two. And, and the thing I love best about it is their stars seem to care. Malik Beasley, maybe not a star, but he cares. D'Angelo Russell, I'm still not sure about, but he's such a great shooter that you can maybe live with one guy doing that. Cat seems to care. And, and Anthony Edwards cares about defense, about everything. So he is, and you know, what? it wouldn't take long till I get in the podcast to mention my least favorite wolf of all time. He is the anti wiggy. That's all I'm going to say. And that, I could not give him a better compliment. He cares. He, he's, he's, he's emotional. He's fun, but he takes it seriously. I mean, he's the anti-Wiggy. And so that's good to see. 
So I'm, I'm very I'm bullish on them. I'm looking forward to seeing them play all year. I, it's the first time that I think any of us have been excited about the Timberwolves in the last almost 10 years, it seems like. And I used to go I mean, to It goes back to 2004. I mean, yeah. even when they went there with Jimmy Butler, that was fool's gold, okay? Exactly. Uh, you know, and I was at the Denver game and I wanted them to win and I was at the playoff game they won and that was nice. But I never really thought this is a turnaround. It was a sugar high. I said it by my show back then all the time that, you know, he got, he got all the old guys there that, you know, the Knicks had the sugar high last year. Uh, you know, yep. he can bring you the sugar high, but this I see as hope as, as I, I think Finch is the right guy. I, I think, I mean, I, I'm a big fan. I would like to see them get Ben Simmons, but, but after watching last night, I kind of want to see this group roll, see what they can do. So you brought up Anthony Edwards and it's clear that he's, really talented and it seems like that I think that kind of that was the right pick um after seeing what he can grow into is this still Carl Anthony Towns's team in your opinion and and will it always be or do you think that Anthony Edwards is going to grow into being sort of the KG the heart and soul of this team the number one go-to player and, Anthony, hope- and, and then Towns becomes more of almost like um you know uh you know the why am I drawing like the Anthony Davis uh to the LeBron. I, I hope Ant becomes the leader because Cat has proven to be a poor leader. Cat is I've I've loved Cat as a player. People that that on Twitter that say Cat is you know a mediocre player, I said you're you're insane. Okay. Cat's a top 10 player in the league, but but he never he's been on one he you know the one year that he's he's been he's made third team all NBA once. And I'm not saying it's even wrong. Okay, when you look at Jokic and Embiid and Cat, Cat could be as good as those guys. I've seen Cat dominate Jokic. I've seen Cat dominate Embiid. They're all three different, but but Cat should be at least on those three guys should be the power forwards or centers, whatever you want to call them. You know, first, second, when the West Cat on first, second, or third team All NBA. Those are the three guys. So, and and obviously Jokic has won an MVP. Embiid is a fantastic player. I love Joel Embiid, but I. I love cat cats of those cats, such a good player. And I think cat cares cat cats problem. Isn't that he doesn't give a shit cats problem is that he's, he, he doesn't know how to lead. I mean, look, they, they need a leader other than cat cats, not a cats. I think too introspective. And I'll go back to an old name. I'll tell you about a guy that, that reminds me of cat back in my Tampa Bay days, they drafted Vinny Testaverde who went on to have become a long, and good quarterbacking career, but, but not like they thought they thought he was going to be the next great quarterback that he was going to be like Patrick Mahomes is now, or Tom Brady is now. And I covered him in those Tampa Bay years when they were dreadful. And I got to know Vinny a little bit by interviewing him quite a bit. And Vinny was very introspective. He talked to me one day about how he liked to paint, not painting a house like paint. And he just wasn't, didn't have the mental makeup to be, a quarterback leader. Now he went on to be, have a wonderful career because Bill Parcells fell in love with him and kept him around for a long time. And he was a talented player. Cat reminds me of that. He's just, he, he's not cutthroat enough. He's too introspective. He's too, maybe a likable personality. You almost, I think Anthony Edwards to see Anthony Edwards come back after one year where he's not working on his defense. He's, is and, and there was, you know, Finch was quoted as saying he understands the court when, when he played the first two months that he played, He's one of the worst players in NBA history that I've ever seen get that many minutes. And I thought he was a complete bust. He was out of shape. He took nothing but horrible shots. He looked like he didn't give a shit. I've never seen a guy 
turn around as fast as he did once he got into shape. And now I think he can be the guy because he wants to win. And he, he's, but he's not going to do it with a sneer. He's going to do it with a smile. You know, Jordan did it with a sneer. Other guys do it with a sneer. KG did it growling. He's <laughs> going to do it smiling and laughing. You can do it that way too. Magic did it that way. To a certain degree, LeBron does it that way. What the point is, he is who he is. He's that kind of personality, but he still has an intensity. He needs to be the leader on this team. And I think, I think he will become one. And I honestly think Cat would welcome it. I don't think Cat likes being the leader. I, I, I totally, I totally agree. And, and, and I think there was some evidence of it. If you looked close enough, when the Rosas situation went down and Kat's comments afterwards. Now I'm not going to say, I don't have sympathy for what he's gone through from the COVID standpoint, obviously it's just awful and other and professionally what he's gone through some of the ineptitude of, of the Wolves organization since he's been here. But his comments afterwards, they asked him about it and he, and he said, you know, it's just, just, you know, like every day, like he kind of, kind of brushed it off. And then what he said, this is what kind of, kind of pissed me off and, and kind of led credence to what you're saying about the leadership is, is he said, well, I, I'm just going to continue to be a consummate professional. That's what I've been. That's what I've been here since day one. If you, and, and I'm not saying he hasn't been for the most part. But if you're a true leader, you let others say that about you. You don't need to tell them how much of a professional you are. Like that just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I think I agree with you. He, he's, he's the word I use, number two. He wallows in it. I don't like people that wallow in misery. I yes. don't. And it doesn't mean that I don't like cat. And I'm not saying, look, I didn't lose my parents until they were elderly. I, I, I lost a very close friend. Uh, in January, probably the, the, the most impactful death I've had in my life, a 62-year-old guy, my best friend, played golf all the time. I went back to, you know, he went back for 35 years, and he dropped dead on an exercise bike. And But I'm not going to wallow in it. I mean, look, Michael Jordan's father was murdered, and he came back and played harder. I mean, my, my, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that everyone should be that way. I'm just saying that's part of Cat's makeup. I still want Cat on my team. I still want Cat on my team, but he isn't a guy who is going to say, my God, everything's gone wrong. I'm going to go out and kick the Phoenix Suns ass tonight. That isn't him. That he's like Vinny. That's how Vinny was. Vinny had a great, Cat can have a great, that's why I'm hopeful that Cat, that Ant can be the, the leader. I, I think Cat would be fine being the second guy. I'm not saying that on the floor, on the floor, look, now the Wolves have got two true superstars. I mean, uh, you know, last night's game, just a picky point by me. Ant wasn't going to the basket nearly enough for my preference, but he did shoot six of 12 from the outside. He, he settled a little bit, but he also played defense and he played physical. And I, so, I, so I'm just saying Ant needs to be the leader. And I think he will become, I think he's in a way he probably already is. And, uh, and, you know, D'Lo obviously is D'Lo's like, D'Lo's like the, the guy who shows that D'Lo's like dazed and confused. He's like uh, Matthew McConaughey. Hey dude, how you doing, man? He's super talented, but like I said, when they were talking about the Ben Simmons trade and they said they weren't going to include D'Lo in it, I was saying I'd only make the trade if D'Lo was included in it for two reasons. <laughs> I want to get his $35 million off the books, right? Get his off the books, and they don't need him. They don't – for this year, he'll help them, but if you get Ben Simmons and Cat Nant, we can find a point guard later, okay? To, to me, Ben Simmons, Cat Nant is, is a Western Conference contender right away. If you, you know, maybe a year after adding some pieces, 
that's a pretty good troika. So I'm going to say. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. The defense that Simmons could provide and just the speed that he flies up the floor with, his passing ability, really everything except outside shooting. Right, and, and, and um, look, he so melted good. down against Atlanta, but but his postseason numbers are good up until then. I mean, he yeah. had, they, they were very consistent. That was an embarrassment, okay? And look, I don't like the fact that he he basically, when he played at LSU, they never won. When he played on the Australian national team, you know, Andrew Bogan came out and said he was the same crying baby. So that's a problem. But I'm just saying when you're the Wolves, if I could trade D'Lo for Ben Simmons, that's a no-brainer. I wouldn't trade Ant for him. I wouldn't trade Cat for him. And look, let's talk about this team. The only people that really matter are D'Lo. Right, no, well, look, and the people that say they wouldn't trade Jaden McDaniels for him, I'll give me a break. I, I like <laughs> Jaden McDaniels. I will trade. Ant, here's what I would say to them. Ant and Carl are staying here. You can have everybody else you want. In fact, you can take everybody. I'll start from scratch with those three guys. I would 100% do it. And But they, they would have to take D'Angelo Russell. I don't think it's going to happen. But I'll risk the fact that he that his attitude is bad. I'll risk it because he's because he, I don't think D'Lo's attitude is that good. So I would I would much rather have Ben Simmons than D'Lo. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, you, you mentioned last thing on the Wolves, I'll, I'll say here, and then we'll shift uh, quickly to the purple. But uh, the uh, Barrero also, I caught part of the show today, and he said his sources told him that uh, D'Lo wasn't too into practicing yeah, in, heard in the past. Yeah. I, and I'm like, what? What? Like, hopefully Finch, hopefully Finch can unlock that. If he is here, uh, you know, the rest of this year and beyond, well, they, they need, they need, that needs to change. D'Lo is the one thing I like, like I couldn't watch Wiggy because Wiggy was, was really at the end, bottom line, not very good at basketball. Okay. On top of other things, he couldn't handle the ball. He took bad shots. He was a mediocre shooter. He stopped becoming a, a force around the rim. D'Angelo Russell is a, a phenomenal score. You saw the game last night. He's having a bad game. And just like that, he has four threes in a row. I mean, just like that, yeah. he puts 12 points on the board like that. I mean, he, there's, there's never a time when I see D'Lo shoot the ball that I say bad shot. He can shoot it whenever he wants. He's a, he's a wonderful ball handler. He's a really good passer. But he just seems to play like he's playing pickup basketball. He does these one-handed passes. He, he commits two or three turnovers a game that there's really no reason to commit him just because he's screwing around because he's good at it. And, and you know, that's going to cost you some games. And when you're, you're scrambling to make the playoffs, I don't like that. But I do appreciate his talent. I remember when he came in Williams arena as a freshman and the first half he scored like 24 points or something. And Richard Patino said, well, he's not going to shoot anymore. And in the second half, he had like 12 assists. And I said, I'm impressed with that guy because when they let him shoot, he made it. And then when they took away a shot, he dished it. I said, that's a good player. Uh, it is a good player. He's picked second in the draft. He's still a damn good player. So if I, my, the one, the number one seed that the wolves gave up, which is Kaminga, whatever he turns out to be was worth it to get rid of Wiggy. That's all I'm saying. I will not hold that against Garcon Rosas. There's, there's a lot of stuff I'd hold against Rosas. That isn't one of them. Yeah. And he got, no, which, he got Chris Finch, which he did out to yep. be a, a big, 100%. big, big deal. So the Sarge trade, that's another matter but for Culver, yeah. but, 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 but he got rid of Wiggy. So yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. No question about that. I, I and, and D'Lo was so fun to watch in Ohio state. Like, my, my God, he was fun to watch. And he's still um, fun to watch. He's just yeah, a little annoyed, he but he's still fun to watch. Yeah. Um, quickly on the Vikings, and, and we've we've gone back and forth about this before. Kirk versus Case Keenum back after the 2017 Case season. Case playing you, tonight. I Case know against tonight. Teddy. Against yes, Teddy. I never watched Thursday Night Football. It's appointment viewing. Case versus <laughs> Teddy. 
pretty good. Uh, I, I'll probably watch uh, the NLCS more than that, but I'm a baseball guy. Um, the Vikings, though, we don't need to relitigate what happened after the 2017 season. No. Kirk came, Kirk came and, and Case is gone. But what are, what's your, because it's been such a strange start to the season. I've, I've never seen anything quite like it. These first six games, we need the buy for our, our mental health more than Correct. anything. Uh, what, what's, because they have a tough outlook coming up, or a tough schedule coming up. What, what do you think the outlook is for this team the remainder of the season? One, I'm not a big schedule watcher, especially with Mike Zimmer's teams. Uh, I was just playing golf down at Pinehurst, by the way, last weekend with some buddies, and they're all big gamblers. They don't live up here. And they said, what about the Vikings? I said, here, here's the Vikings under Zimmer. If they're playing a really good team, take the Vikings because they will at least cover the spread. If they're playing a really bad team, take the bad team because they'll cover the spread because it'll always be close. Zimmer, who I've defended for eight years in the 2021 modern NFL, where you got the guy in San Diego and the guy in Green Bay and these young guys, the, the and, and, you know, Kings, you know, all the hipsters out there, right? That's who you need now. And, and the Zimmer is holding this team back. They have a top five offense and he's turned them into a, to a 12th offense and the defense has improved. It's good enough that this team could be really good. And Kirk cousins, by the way, uh, with Darisaw really very encouraging how he's played Kirk. I saw a stat by Phil Mackey, our friend Phil Mackey on Twitter right before I got on. And he said that last year, Kirk cousins for, himself created 27 pressures by running into a guy or panicking which we've seen for years this year he's done that twice i mean when he avoided that sack in overtime last week uh he's a kirk cousins look we all know when the pocket is clean i don't know that there's a single quarterback in the league and i'm not kidding you that i would maybe wouldn't take over kirk cousins maybe maybe aaron Rodgers. i would take him over over brady i, I would take him over patrick mahomes who i don't think is as good a passer pure passer as kirk cousins but when he's got the clean pocket, he's outstanding. So this is what bothers me. People, I say they love Kirk or they hate Kirk. or They think he's great or they think he's – he's none of those things. He's an incomplete quarterback, like most quarterbacks. Most quarterbacks have something they're not good at. Kirk Cousins, when the pressure is on and the packet, pocket collapses, is worse than most. When the pocket is clean, he's better than most. He's, he's, he's great when the pocket's clean, and he's horrible when it's not. He seems to be – improving at that and also they seem to be doing a good job of getting rid of the ball quickly i mean it is it's coaching malpractice that you pick kirk cousins over case keenum and then have the offensive line they've had the last four years if you're going to not spend money on the offensive line if mike zimmer's going to keep going and buying cornerbacks and defensive tackles when you have kirk cousins then you should have kept case keenum that's all i'm saying if you have a great offensive line case keenum is way better i mean kirk cousins is way better than case keenum and so now it looks like their offensive line is rounding into shape. They just need to get Zimmer the hell out of the offense. Clint, Clint Kubiak, Clint, what is it, Clint? Clint. Clint, yeah. Clint say that three times. And, and, and let the offense go a little bit. I think the offense should carry this team. I think this team could be really good. And, and if, if, if he wasn't sitting there diddling around, I mean, they're lucky. People say they should be five and one. They're lucky they're not one and five. I mean, when you look at the last two games, the way they diddled around, the way he's running the ball every time he won't let Kirk Cousins. Here's a stat for you. Kirk Cousins in 296 pass attempts has two interceptions. If you add up Madison and uh, uh, Delvin's pip carries, they're like 180. They have two fumbles. 
So when you're running the ball late in the game, he thinks that's the more conservative thing. That's cost them one game and almost cost them two. How many, how many times has Kirk Cousins' interceptions cost him a game late? Zero. I'd go with Kirk late in the game. Sorry. I love Dalvin Cook, but you got third and eight. Dalvin Cook or Alvin Madison aren't going to make that very often when they're loaded. You, yeah. I would hand the ball to Kirk Cousins late in the game, and they would have won Detroit easy. They, they, they should have won uh, the Bengals. Are, so to me, it's, 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 if they don't let Kirk Cousins run the show, then they're going to be eight and nine. If they let him run the show, I think they could be like 11 and six. I really do. Matt, Matt and I, Matt and I will talk in, in our next segment to finish up the podcast um, uh, about the, the ability of this offensive line on game winning drives to protect Kirk. Because yes. you remember since Kirk's been here, the number one issue, I'm not saying he's been perfect, but the number one issue is when they know we're not running. Yes. There's huge pressure on him. And, and he hasn't had time. This year, that offensive line has been spectacular late in games. And Darisaw, for his first NFL start, when he was getting tired at the end of the game, he was really protecting Kirk on the blind side. That last play to K.J. Osborne, a rocket right yes. to him. So I, I think when you're – I agree, when you're getting quarterback play like this, Darisaw you have a high upside. Right. Darisaw had the one whiff when, when – and when, right. Kirk, one. when Kirk yeah. got by the guy. But yeah. – by the way, the pass to KJ Osborne, uh, that is an A plus throw. Yes. There's not a lot of quarterbacks that make that throw. He got it out in front of him, but but he didn't get it too close to the pylon. It, it, look, I and he took that shot and didn't throw it underneath the Phelan, who was wide open. You know, after everyone had said he always checks down and he always uh, you know takes the easy path. He he the, the guy that always checked down was Bradshaw. I mean Bradford. Uh, Sam Bradford, when, when the Viking, I was, by the way, I was doing a, I was doing my radio show at the state fair for 1500 on a Sunday morning when they traded for Sam Bradford, a one, a one. And I wailed out loud to the point where people were wondering what I was wailing about. I said, you don't give away a number one pick for a mediocre quarterback. And what they do go eight and eight. That was, a, that was, that's as worse. If they hadn't gotten him, they would have gone four and 12 had their number one and gotten a good player. I mean, that's all I'm saying. Uh, but, uh, but it is. So Kirk Cousins, I've never been, I love him or I hate him. I've been, I see his problems. And he seems to be working on his problems. And the offensive line seems to be better. By the way, Derisaw, uh, we have seen the last of Derisaw, you know, barring injury, will be the left tackle for the next 10 years. Yeah, I don't know what 10 years, but he will be the left tackle for a long time. Good. And now they can just Good get that pick. right guy plugged in, the right guard guy plugged in, whatever. He showed up fat. Yeah. Derisaw shows, shows up hurt, but, you know, We'll see. Yeah, good pick by Rick Spielman. That trade down uh, was one of his better better moves of his tenure. Yeah, you can just see he's got he's got it. I'm not saying he's going to be first team All Pro, you know, but you know, I mean, you know, like like how do we think about McKinney? McKinney was a good pick, right? But he I don't think he was ever first team All Pro. He wasn't Ron Yeri, okay? But well, Ron Yeri was a right tackle, but he wasn't. Uh, oh, who's the guy? Todd Stussy, who yeah. you know who got burned at the end of the half, the only sack he gave up that year in the 1998 1999 championship game, but. We digress. So last question, Corzo. What, other than firing Zimmer and replacing him with, I don't know, Joe Brady or some other young young gun out there, what do you think is the most important thing that needs to happen the rest of this season for the Vikings to reach the promised land or or reach their their pinnacle that they can achieve? Okay, I would say that's the most important that, and again, I wouldn't fire Zimmer now. I'm not a big, I don't know who would take over. 
right now, who do you see on that staff that could be that it looks up at least Zimmer that you're going to get good defensive leadership from him. I just want him to back off a little bit and to, to like, he's backed off on the kickers back off on that. I think the next thing would, would have to be the defensive secondary has got to come through because their defensive line, look, I don't, they're not going to be great against the run. You know, I, I think, I think when you look at mistakes Zimmer's made continuing to throw money at Anthony Barr, who's a great player. I've loved Anthony Barr, but, you know, they, they threw money at him again. They threw, would they let him go to the Jets a couple of years ago? I think they'd be better off than they are now, but they've got him now. And now he didn't play the first six games and who knows how long he's going to last. Okay. I, I love Anthony uh, Abar. He's a great player. Give him a ring of honor spot. I'm just saying they, they seem Zimmer just falls in love with these guys. Something Belichick never does. And, and that's hurt him a little bit. So I don't think they're going to be great against the run, but I, by the way, I'm really surprised at how good Patrick Peterson has been. I mean, I, I thought that that he was spent, but he was been very good. Xavier Woods has been very good as a, as another safety. Harrison, you know, Harrison is okay. He's, I think they, that's another guy they threw a t- bunch of money at that I don't think I would have. Uh, I think Dantzler's really talented. He's, you know, M- remember Mackenzie Alexander had problems with Zimmer and they brought rid of him and he came back. I think Dantzler must be, he irritates Zimmer and maybe rightfully so. I don't know what's going on there, but Dantzler's a talented guy. Uh, so I'd say if their defensive secondary can come around, I think their defensive line has been really good. I think their linebackers are going to be better with barback. And, uh, and so if they can get, if their defense has been very good this year, better than I thought it would be. So, uh, and their offense has not been nearly as good as it should be. So if their defense can stay where it is and their, and, and Zimmer can get the hell out of the way and let their offense have reach its potential, I think it could be a top five or six offense in this league. They could be a factor in the, in the NFC, but I'm not optimistic. Zimmer will do that. We have a few minutes left time for a lightning round here right. with, uh, with Corzo quick questions and quick answers for this one. We'll start with the Minnesota twins, Byron Buxton topic. A should they commit to him long-term in terms of years and dollars? hundred percent. I we've seen what he can be. Okay. After years of him being a horrible baseball player, other than in the field, He's now a great baseball player. You know, I I guess I would harken back to Robert Smith. I don't know if you remember Robert. You guys are younger than me, but you know who Robert Smith is. Robert Smith was always injured until he wasn't. And then he was a great player in 1998. And then he retired, you know, because he thought a couple years later, he thought I want to put up with it. But you could see what a great player Robert Smith was. Look, it comes down to, I wouldn't give him the full boat that, I mean, there has to be some incentives in there. So look, I negotiate for a living and, and everything that I've read about this says they, they kind of agree on like the guaranteed money. Now they're arguing over the levels for the incentives. If that's the case, get it done. I I would not, I couldn't see letting Byron Buxton walk out the door. I couldn't do it. I mean, he's too good. And it's a risk. He's been injured his whole career. But what we saw from him this year, if you read Aaron Gleeman's report, Eric Gleeman in The Athletic, he's on war, you know, wins above replacement, which is a cumulative stat like points. He was third on the Twins and he played 40 games or 60 games. He's a, he's a game-changing player. I'm all in on Byron Buxton. I'd get it done. We'll, we'll have to have a separate show just on that. You disagree with that? I, I do I, I want to agree so crazy. badly. I want to agree. I want always, to agree badly. I've always I, I said don't. errors of commission 
are worse than errors of omission. In other words, when you, when you spend a lot of money on a player who proves to be a bust like Wiggy, which if they'd listened to me, they would have never given him a second contract. And we would have had that first round pick that we had to give away to get rid of him. Uh, but for example, the, the, the obvious error of omission was David Ortiz, but David Ortiz is very similar to Rosario. In other words, who's now has a great game in the playoffs, you know, and everyone says, Oh, why'd they keep, him? well, the twins cut him. Nobody else would pay him 10 million. The, the, the Indians had him all year and got rid of him. We all know. I love Eddie. Eddie's fun to watch. We, Eddie's not an incompetent baseball player. He can have a couple of good games. He's not, he's a major league level player with great talent. People all act crazy. Like I wouldn't want Eddie back. Okay. I'm going to say that he's I'm good for him. Cause I'm happy to see him do it. But when Ortiz left, he blossomed, right? But nobody else wanted Ortiz later. Go look it up. The Red Sox signed him for a million bucks, which even then was nothing. So my Pedro point is- Martinez told them to. Yeah, I'm just going to say, I'm just going to say that I think Buxton's a different matter. I'm going against my error of commission because it could blow up in your face. But I will say this, if he only plays half the games, he's still going to be worth the money. Fair enough. We always get strong opinions from Corzo. That's why we brought him on. Excellent. You, you used to be called the sophisticated sports fan. I, I think that's a very, very good. Uh, that's what I call my show. And then Brad Lane told me not to use that anymore. So <laughs> They're going to kick <laughs> us off here on, uh, on our All recording. Right. But thanks so much, Corzo. Matthew, nice uh, to meet you. Marshall, thanks for having me on. All thanks, right. Corzo. See ya. All right. Thanks again to Scott Korzanowski for that excellent conversation, bringing uh, Matt back in now and uh matt we are gonna be uh, vikings heavy here kind of uh evaluating what we think at the bye uh what we think of this team uh, good and bad and maybe looking forward a little bit and then uh, maybe touch on some wolves and wild uh both exciting starts uh for those two squads uh to their seasons how's that sound sounds great it was a, a busy uh last week in minnesota sports uh uh, I think we're all in need of the Vikings by uh, and all excited by this first week of the T pups, as I like to call them, and uh, the Minnesota Wild. So I'm uh, very excited for uh, talking about it all today. Let's say if you're a sports fan, it can be tough to pick sometimes this time of year. Uh, October is a fantastic month uh, with everything going on. You got the baseball playoffs as well. Uh, for me personally, that's been extremely exciting especially the national league championship series and uh, we're recording this on a thursday and last night eddie rosario my goodness uh it's been fun to watch him he had his second four hit game of the nlcs and, and uh hit two home runs and if one of them had been a double he would have been a cycle so uh he's crushing it for the uh for the atlanta braves that's fun to see yeah, it uh, would be fun to see them win and Eddie to be the uh, NLCS uh, MVP. And I think there's no doubt that uh, at some point here, we're going to do our uh, Twins postseason uh, uh, review. And yes. I'm sure Eddie's, Eddie's performance uh, and some other former Twins performances will, will come up as part of that uh, review and where the Twins uh, go from here. Yes, yes. Lots to talk about in the Twins offseason, uh, but that is uh, for a future show. Right now, the, the task at hand is kind of breaking down this 3-3 three and three Vikings team, and it's, it's hard to break down. I think we have a uh, – this was kind of predicted when we started this podcast. I'm more of an optimist, especially when it comes to the Vikings, and you're usually more skeptical. 
Um, and I think that's the case with this team. I texted you after the game. We, we got into a long argument over text um, after the game on Sunday night um, where I said something where uh, I think it, it might have caused you a, a borderline, uh, a, a mild heart attack. <laughs> yes, it did. I said, okay, I, I said that they, I said that I think they're pretty close to putting it together. I think they're, and I'll explain why, and then maybe you, you can say why you think, why you're a little more skeptical. But I do think, and it's not, it's not something, I'm trying to come up with some uh, non-obvious this week, and I will have some stats to back that up uh, here in a second. Some non-obvious stuff from the entire team. But I think just big picture-wise, if you look at the last two weeks, for some fans, those didn't even feel like wins, especially the Detroit Lions one. Now on the road, you, you find a way to win, really, against anybody that's good. But again, that was a game that they should have put away. I don't deny any of that. Um, but I think if you look a little deeper on both sides of the ball and special teams, um, they're pretty close. And let me tell you why. Defensively, they have improved mostly each and every week. Now, we said last year they were one of, if not the worst defense in the National Football League, in large part due to injuries and COVID opt-outs. Um, they had a lot of new players this year, some returnees, some playing for the Vikings for the first time, some returning to the Vikings, like Sheldon Richardson and Mackenzie Alexander. Um, and nobody denies that the Zimmer defense is tough to adapt to. Tough for rookies, but even tough for veterans. And I think you've seen over the past few weeks a dramatic improvement in the defense. First of all, Let's take a look at their second half and overtime points allowed. This is in the first six games. By game, 13, 10, 0, 11, 10. Uh, that is, by the way, number four in the National Football League. Now, it is a bit skewed by that zero they allowed against Seattle in the second half, but that's Russell Wilson we're talking about. Um, that's 8.7 points per game in the second half, number four in the NFL. Last year, you kind of can draw a line through last year, but last year they were dead last. 32nd in the league in second half defense, 16 and a half points per game allowed defensively in the second half. So that's been cut in half. Let's take a look at third down defense. That's been probably Mike Zimmer's forte since he's been the Vikings head coach. Well, they're number one in the NFL in third down defense, 29.17% to be exact. And by the way, that's substantially lower on the road where sometimes it's tough for a Vikings defense that plays indoors with all that loud noise at U.S. Bank Stadium. It's tough for that D to travel. 22.86% allowed on third down on the road. In 2020, by the way, so overall it's about 29%. In 2020, it was 39%. And by the way, that was still top 10 in the league. So as bad as they were, that's how good Zimmer is when you get to third down. Sacks, 21 sacks right now. They had 23 all of last year. Number one in the National Football League, by the way, ahead of a very good Chicago Bears defense was 20. Number one in sacks. So that's the good. I have some concerns that I'll, that I'll get to after you respond. <laughs> it, no, but it, but, but, but that's, that's where I start 
defensively. And then I'll get to why I'm a little optimistic about uh, about the offense. But respond defensively. Why 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 don't you share my optimism? It's not that I don't share your optimism. What I objected to was the idea that you know the thought of if they could put a full game together, they're going to be tough to beat. And oh, that I was just, what I said. I've, yeah. had, I've never I've never heard someone say a three and three team. Uh, you know, jump to the next level and say, well, clearly they're they're going to be tough to beat. I, I let's just. Tell that to Tom Brady. Tell that to Patrick Mahomes, even though the Chiefs aren't playing that well right now. Tell that to the Bills. Tell that to – we'll see with the Chargers. We'll see with the Rams. And that's not – I'm not trying to say – when I push back on that, I'm not trying to say that they're, I don't think this team could be good, very good, or even great. I'm just saying, let's pump the brakes here. But in terms of the defense, um, Daniil Hunter being back is – night and day in terms of the difference between these teams he's the most important person on the defense in my mind and on this team second to uh kirk and and maybe dalvin um he just because of those pressures that you talked about that changes the whole game plan for the secondary which obviously you know is starting to play better breland's starting to get better danzler maybe is is getting on the field and, and have maybe repaired his relationship with Zimmer. Uh, Peterson's been playing pretty darn well. Um, bummer about that injury. You know, Xavier Woods has been great. Uh, and, you know, Harrison is always great, you know, always solid. You know, Kendricks is, you know, unbelievable. You know, Barr is helping this run game get better. But it all starts with getting pressure at the front and having to kneel healthy has been a gigantic difference. Um, uh, and then obviously Everson and DJ Wanham um, starting to play well, I think has helped a lot, you know, and if we can get Michael Pierce back, I think you're right. The defense is going to be fine. There's some, a few issues I have on, on, on depth and, and there are a few issues that they need to really, the mystifying issues are end of half and end of game um, where they're just, for whatever reason, they've not been able to get those key stops there and are giving up points. However, I do think that they're going to be fine. Um, it is really that, you know, what we said at the beginning, it's special teams. Greg Joseph has been solid, but has had some key misses. Some of the, you know, punt coverage issues, you know, th- th- there's still some uncertainty there on the special team side. And then the, the real question mark is offensive line. And, and I know you're going to tell me that, you know, the offensive will- line, well, let's 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 get into that in a second. Let, let's stick on the defense for now, and then we'll we'll kind of break down uh, the offense and give our our, our bye week autopsy. Um, the 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 th- I'm glad you mentioned Breland because I mentioned him last week that he was much better. He was even better this week. He was. You, you, he had the one penalty, one bad penalty. But how about to start the game with the interception? Horrible throw by Sam Darnold. Horrible decision. But Breland closed on it. And Bashad Breland, like I've said many times, intercepted a pass in the Super Bowl. He's he's not he's not gonna ever be a shutdown guy or your number one guy. And I am concerned that he's the number one guy now, at least for a few weeks. But he's a solid football player. And sure, I'm gonna give you some credit, Marshall. I don't excited. do it very often. I don't do it very often, <laughs> but you have been very consistent in saying, give Breland time, give Breland time, give Breland time. He's played in the Super Bowl. He's adjusting to a new system and he's getting better. Let's hope it, it keeps progressing. 
because he still is a weakness um, comparatively on this team. But, yeah, right. um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no doubt about that. Um, but I think I, I do think the defense is starting to get to uh, the level that Zimmer would like. It's not there. It's not there yet. Um, certainly, that 96-yard drive was totally unacceptable. Uh, they let Darnold loose a few times. Peterson got hurt, hurt on that drive. Two huge two big fourth downs. Down. Now, yep. now, I'll give Darnold credit. That was his best throw of the day. And that's why teams like Carolina kind of – he's enticing because he does have that ability at times. Uh, and he, he threw from the end zone with the kneel bearing down on him, a perfect strike to a run-blocking tight end. So that was kind of a player. It's like you almost have to tip your cap. Like, if you're going to give them one thing, it's the throw over the middle to the run-blocking tight end with Kendricks on him pretty well. Hendricks's coverage was pretty darn good. Um, that was just a nice play. You know, they're in the NFL, too. They're going to make plays uh, on occasion. And uh, they did start the season 3-0, almost beat Dallas also uh, the week before that the Vikings uh, beat them. So here, here's where I'm a few concerns. And it starts with Patrick Peterson being out for at least yeah. the next three games, not just weeks. So the bye week doesn't count. Three games minimum with the hamstring. Really sad. First action he's ever missed can you believe that he's played for over 10 years in the league first action he's ever missed says a lot about his uh, ability to to stay healthy and prepare and uh, just his work ethic but he's been very sticky in coverage and now the games he's going to miss you're facing Dak Prescott Lamar Jackson and Justin Herbert that was already going to be tough with him so now the pass rush becomes even more important although I heard today Dak Prescott, his status for that Dallas game could be in question. He's got a he's he's got a calf injury that he's hurting from. So boy, that would be a lot a up in the air for that Dallas game. But Peterson being out is a big thing. The other thing is, Everson Griffin played over sixty snaps last game. Zimmer wants him more in the mid thirties. Why did he play that many snaps? Well, first of all, he's damn good. <laughs> he's he's getting back to to elite Everson level. But the other reason is they haven't had enough defensive ends step up. That's a problem. Stephen Weatherly was signed back to this team, one of the returnees. He had eight snaps. That's not good enough. That's, that's suggesting that he might be on his way out the door. He's, he's, definitely, a, he's yeah. definitely a trade candidate here uh, coming yep. up on the To so maybe recoup one of, those, one of those picks. And, and – and, DJ Wanham had over 30 snaps. He's played well, but he's a little undersized in the run game. Gives you some juice. So they got Everson, Daniil, and DJ. They need another one, though, to take some snaps off Everson. We don't want him getting worn down late in the season. And, and whether it's Patrick Jones or Stephen Weatherly or somebody else, they need to step up on that defensive line. And it might be Patrick Jones. I mean, he's a third-round pick. None of these third-round picks have played. Kellen Mond was never going to play this year, okay? But but uh, Chaz Surratt, he hasn't, he's barely played on special teams. That has not worked so far. Um, and but he was more of a project, but still. And then you had uh, Wyatt Davis, which I'll get to on the offensive line. Where's he? Um, and and then you have Patrick Jones, the DN from Pitt. I'd like to see what Patrick Jones might bring after the bye if they possibly go to him because 
eight snaps for Steven Weatherly suggests they will. Yeah, it's a good point about how, you know, as good as the offensive line or defensive line has been in getting pressure, it's a longer season this year. You're hoping you're going to get into the playoffs, going to make a run. Everson is older. Daniel was injured last year. You know, the, what made San Francisco so great when they'd made their Super Bowl run, what made uh, L.A. so good when they made their Super Bowl run, uh, what's made a lot of these teams successful, I think of the Giants when they were upsetting the Patriots in mo- both in, in both of those Super Bowls. Where they succeeded was they had depth at the defensive line so that they could keep throwing bodies with, the, keep throwing in guys that had lots of energy to keep on the pressure, um, you know, including if you maybe only having to bring four or mixing in a five. And we're going to need that depth and energy against a lot of, to keep the pressure up against, especially a lot of these top teams we have coming up with their passing ability. And so you're right. I, I, I do think that, um, you know, Stephen Weatherly clearly is not working out and they, you know, if they're, they should be aggressive and consider going out and seeing what DN might be available that needs a fresh start that could bring in a, a body just, you know, maybe is more helpful on the run because we know Everston doesn't really, you know, they're trying and, to keep him fresh. But before that, I think you consider corner. And if you're looking trade, you look, you look corner first because the pass rush, I mean, they're even getting sacks from James Lynch. That's yeah, how that good Andre a, Patterson yeah. is being right now. James Lynch untouched. When a guy comes untouched up the middle, your schemes are just so good. And and that was that was Dalvin Tomlinson, I believe, occupying two guys. Tomlinson's starting to play very well, and you're getting you're going to get Pierce back, who brings you some middle thrust, also. So yeah, those I, are- I think you have to you have to get a corner if you're looking trade. But last thing on the defense, though, the the penetration against the run needs to be better. The the yes. the there are too many running backs running untouched to the second level. And that was supposed to be better. So uh, when Pierce comes back, that is a big thing he does. Tomlinson's got to do it. And whether Armand Watts played very well against Carolina, he played very well. Um, So he's coming along nicely. Andre Patterson knows how to develop D linemen, but we need more uh, penetration against the run. And that would make the number one third down defense in the national football league even better. Um, to the point where, like in 2017, you were lucky to get two first down, conver- two third down conversions a game against Zimmer's defense. So um, there is a chance for it to get there. We'll see if it does. Shifting over to the to the offense, um, very good performance overall against Carolina. Very good bounce back, over 500 yards of total offense. The quarterback is elite right now. The quarterback is locked in like I've never seen uh, from this guy. I mean, he, he is so confident right now. Um, and, and, and just play after play shows you what, I mean, you, you look at, how about the fact that Carolina almost won the game on a strip sack on that last drive in the fourth quarter before Joseph missed the field goal and Kirk had the feel like eyes in the back of his head to duck out of it and run for a first down. That doesn't happen in 2018. That doesn't happen. And then the throw to Osborne is just money. I mean, right on the money, 
the pass protection was great. And that's the other thing. What, and let, let me ask you this, and the question, the answer is obvious. This is the easiest question you're going to get. Maybe even easier than the ones you got at Notre Dame. Oh. They, <laughs> it's Sorry. Notre Dame. I, we should we should tell listeners that it's Notre Dame USC football week. We it is it coming is. up here, oh, so, so we're in a feisty. Since we're probably going to lose the game. I need to get my shots in now. There you <laughs> go. Let's hope so. Um, the but here's the question: What was the number one problem on game-winning drives since Kirk Cousins has been here? I'm not saying Kirk was not an issue at all. Kirk wasn't was perfect, but what was the number one issue on game-winning drives? It was the offensive line protecting him. I mean, exactly. It was- and they know the problem is this offense is built around Dalvin Cook. It still is, still is to some degree, even though they've evolved a little bit. But there has been virtually no pressure on Kirk on these game-winning drives, and he should have four of them, four in the first six games. He has two. And he doesn't have the other two because the first two weeks, Dalvin with a phantom fumble, and then Greg Joseph misses a 37-yarder to win at Arizona. So, and by the way, we are the, easily the closest team to beating Arizona. So I know that's it. So I know close only counts in horseshoes, hand grenades, and no, but it, it does. We, it, it that does, is a positive side. It does indicate, and I think we were a good matchup against Arizona. That they, they had a smallish defensive line, and Dalvin was able to kind of run downhill on them. Um, as he will against Dallas when he destroys them. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, there's no pressure on these game-winning drives. And look what Kirk is doing time and time again. It's beautiful. So he, uh, here, I, you're going to disagree with me on this, but Kirk Cousins has become the most important player on the Vikings team and on their offense. I know no, you no, still he think- is. No, no, he no, is I, because- you normally- I, you normally have, oh, you've always taken the position that this offense still runs through Dalvin. And I think that Mike Zimmer still wants that to be the case. But I don't consider that the case anymore because Kirk has answered every possible criticism people could have about him. First, it was you in, know, the regu- he, in the regular season. Well, I'll say, well yeah. but no, but to build off of that for a second, here, here were the criticisms of Kirk, both when he was brought in and for these first couple of years. It was. He doesn't perform at the end of games. That's clearly just rubbish, um, especially if he gets any sort of you know offensive line protection. It was uh, Kirk can't win on the primetime games. He's been changing that the last couple of years, and if you look at his stats in the primetime, they're actually pretty darn good. It was he can't win a playoff game. Well, he's done that with us. Then it was you know he holds onto the ball too long, and he's gotten better at that. Then it was he wasn't leading enough as the team, and he's been doing that. Then it's he wasn't showing enough passion, and he literally is getting in pushing matches you know, on the sideline with Mike Zimmer. And, um, you know, we have he doesn't run or doesn't have the, the pocket protection, and you talked about the play that was that. And then it was, you know, he's just putting up stats and not getting wins, and he literally is showing, I'm doing everything possible that I can, and anyone who makes the argument that it's the quarterback that determines, solely the quarterback that determines whether you win or lose – isn't watching football and doesn't know what they're talking about. And then just to add to it that you think, okay, it's just, he's putting up stats, but are they really that impressive? And then it's, you get this only three quarterbacks in NFL history have surpassed 30,000 passing yards and 200 touchdowns in their first 115 games, Peyton Manning, Dan Marino, and Kirk cousins. I didn't hear Tom Brady on there. I didn't, you know, hear Aaron Rodgers on there. They're Kirk cousins. 
So it, he is literally doing everything. And when they are, if they get better at unleashing the deep ball, which we saw in the Carolina game, and I think that's why they put up so many yards and why they were able to score some touchdowns. He missed, offense, on, he missed on one too. And he did. But, yeah. but and that's and, and you know what you you're gonna do better the more you're unleashing those throws. But I, I love that he that he is trusting Jefferson and Thielen and now Osborne to make the play. He's he has the confidence to throw the ball where he knows it needs to go and risk maybe a turnover. But those guys are gonna make plays more often than not, and he's not turning the ball over on top of it. I mean, it's just yeah, the offense runs through him, and it's super impressive and super. Yeah, the, the reason the, I agree with all that. The, the reason, the reason, um, that's one place we agree on because I'm Kirk Cousins. But the, the, when I say the offense runs through Dalvin, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a running play. It, it, it means that he might not even be involved in the play. But the play at Kirk's so good off play action, and you saw it, and we, the play action numbers had been down. I think for a few reasons. One, Dalvin hasn't played in all the games. Two, they with Irv Smith Jr. out, they're running fewer two tight end sets and putting more three wide receiver sets on the field. And three, they kind of want to, you know, evolve this offense a little bit. But you saw the return of some of the play action boots when they were trying to run out. And, and by the way, this criticism that they were too conservative this week, they were against Detroit. And they were sure. maybe, at, maybe at times against Carolina. But they had a drive. They had the, the ball with about four and a half minutes to go. They were trying to run out the clock. The first play was a play-action boot, forty-yard strike to Tyler Conklin. So don't give me this. They were Clint Kubiak and the offensive staff were challenged by Zimmer this week before the bye. Normally you would see this at the bye, but they were challenged to do some self-scouting about why they're not scoring more in the second half. They scored two third-quarter touchdowns. Was it perfect? No. But in the drive of overtime, can you criticize Clint Kubiak's play calling? And by the way, the drive before, when we should have the field goal to win the game as well. So Clint Kubiak was much better. It's a work in progress for sure. For sure. He's young. I don't care about the last name right now. Um, I care about what's happening in the moment here. And he's, and he's going through some growing pains at times. But the good is really good. And the good and the best is when Dalvin Cook is on the field. This offense has looked the best. Now, they look good against Seattle, but that was a bad, bad defense. They have looked extremely good twice on the road against Arizona and Carolina. Two of the Carolinas, probably the best defense they've faced. They were allowing 17 points per game, and the Vikings hung 34 on them. So, so, so I mean, it's, it's getting there. For sure. Yeah, it, it is. So, I mean, switching to the biggest concerns for this, I, I agree that I, the play calling still is a concern for me going forward. It was Carolina an aberration or is that going to be the standard? If it's the standard, that's going to be taken care of. But they've got to keep, you know, people on their toes on first and second down more, certainly more than Detroit. And they got to make sure that they don't go back into, even with, the defense playing more Zimmer ball that they don't go too much back into his, you know, 2017 mold, his default mold of let's just let the defense shut him down. And we'll just grind, you know, just always go to clock management and not, you know, you know, try and go for the big plays because 
guess what? You play some of these really talented teams and all of a sudden they can score 21 points like that. And, you know, so you got to put your foot to the gas pedal. But for, for I will say the other concern I have, and I started to bring it up earlier, and, and you said the magic name of, you know, could fix it, but it's still the offensive line. Um, are they going to be consistently good and especially consistency, consistently good about against these really good D lines? Is it a Cleveland Browns situation where they can't, block anyone to save their life uh, or a Cincinnati where they're getting a whole bunch of penalties, although that's looking like more and more an aberration, or was it last week where they really did a good job of protecting Kirk? Yeah. Ole Udo had a rough game. Other than that, uh, it was pretty good. I would say the concern more is the middle of the offensive line with yes. Udo, Radbury. They get pushed back far too often. The two point conversion attempts were the perfect example especially when they had it on the one yard line, you think you give it to Dalvin cook in that situation. They don't trust the middle of the offensive line to get the thrust they need. So Bradbury and Udo are the guys I'm watching. Wyatt Davis. Will he appear? Doesn't seem so right now. Udo is doing some good things, but he needs to clean up the penalties. That was not okay. And I, at one point on Twitter got very frustrated and said, get him out. Uh, that was probably a little too over the top because <laughs> we would have been throwing you a, a little rookie. too over the top, Marshall. Yes, yeah. yes, we would have been throwing a rookie in there. But you want to you want a good nitpicking stat, and this is you know you want to be an elite team. Here's where you have to nitpick the offense. What they need is yes, consistency from game to game. I'm going to go consistency in game, and I looked this up today. They have. Too many three and outs. Here are their number of three and outs each game. Four, four, one. That was against Seattle when Zimmer said it was the best offensive performance of his tenure. Then five, four, four. So right now, one is the aberration. The others, four, four, five, four, four. That's too much. For an offense as talented as this is, when you have Dalvin Cook able to get chunk yardage on the ground, that that's 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 not good enough, um, and that that might speak to the fact that Dalvin's missed some time too. But it also speaks to the fact that they're 16th in third down conversion percentage in the NFL, and that's because in large part they've had way too many third and longs, way too many. Kirk's bailed them out on a lot of them with some yep. throws, good pass protection for the most part on third down. But that's too many three and outs, and, and the reason I say this is. When you are going to go to battle against Dallas, against the Chargers, against the Ravens, against the Packers in your next four games, you, the, the times you don't score, you still need to get a first down or two. I'm not saying you can't have any three and outs. One or two a game, that's going to happen most games. Even Patrick Mahomes, you know, at the height of his powers, usually had a couple three and outs per game. But four and five, you can't have it because – a, the defense is going to get tired. So if you minimize that, it helps, it helps an improving defense get even better. And, and, and B, you have to win the time of possession against an offense like the Dallas Cowboys, assuming Dak Prescott plays. You have to win the time of possession, and you have to win the field position game. So even on drives, you don't score. I don't have a problem saying the Vikings are going to score points. They're going to score points. But on the drives, you don't score. You have to at least move the ball. Now, Jordan Berry's done a fantastic job hunting, but you can't yep. just rely on that every time. You, it, you know, you want 
And that way you minimize a punt return too, you know, which, which could go against you. So they just need to get even one first down, two first downs on the drives they don't score. It, it, it's a must for me going forward into this pivotal five-game stretch. Um, it, it's, it's really, really crucial. Uh, it is. Um, so, I mean, it, what is your prediction right now, your best prediction for the rest of the season? And, and we can wrap up with this. <laughs> Matt loves predictions. Uh, <laughs> well, I said before the game, I thought they were going to win 11, or before the season, I thought they were going to win 11 games. Um, what would they have to do to do that? They'd have to go eight and three. Tough schedule to do that. I'll say they go seven and four and get to 10 and, and make the playoffs. Um, but, uh, but I really think they got to go three and two in this five game stretch. And those have to include the wins at home against Dallas and green Bay. They have to take care of business at home the rest of the season. Cause these road games, these road games are really tough. The only quote unquote easy one is Detroit. And what have I been saying since the start of the season, that that game is going to be tough because it's the fourth road game in five weeks, no matter Detroit could win zero games until then it's going to be tough. So that's what I say. I, th I think they'll get to 10. I uh, am feeling more optimistic. Uh, the Vikings will still break our hearts in some way, but I see Kirk on a mission. I, I, I'm going to agree with you and think that they get to 10. I don't know if that's enough to win the division uh, and how all that plays out, um, but I, I, it may be, um, you know, especially if they steal two from Green Bay, um, but I think uh, 10 as well. Excellent. That does it for this week. We didn't even get to the Wolves and the Wild. We'll get to them next week, hopefully, uh, because the Vikings are just too compelling right now. They're always interesting, whether they're 3-3, three and 6-0, three, oh, whatever, whatever it is. For Matt Gallivan, I'm Marshall Kellner. We will talk to you next week. Enjoy the bye week. Take some time to settle down. Maybe uh, restore the Vikings' mental health as we hit the stretch run, starting with Dallas next week. Talk to you guys later. See ya.